It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I am your host, Guy Benson. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening. Every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, around the clock, on demand for free on the podcast. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. I'm a Fox News contributor in addition to hosting this show. On that front, over on the TV side, I'll be joining Brett Baer tonight on the panel in the 6 p.m. hour. Fox News Channel special report. Tomorrow, I'll be co-anchoring Outnumbered, the one lucky guy on the virtual couch in the noon Eastern hour on FNC. Hope to see you there. Radio lineup today, Katie Pavlich joins us later this hour. David Asher on Dr. Fauci, gain-of-function research, coronavirus origins, all of those issues. He will be here in the next hour, as will be Jessica Tarloff, getting her take on her party And this deal that they're still finding to be elusive on Capitol Hill on spending a gigantic amount of money. Is it going to be even more gigantic or slightly less gigantic? That's really the one remaining question in my mind. Harris Faulkner in our final hour. She will be here, one of our colleagues at Fox. Always look forward to chatting with Harris. So we are loaded up with guests today. Busy show ahead. We begin with a Fox News alert and we'll bring you stats on coronavirus. 45.5 million collective cases in the United States. That is the official number. The real number is much higher. The death toll, people dying with or of COVID in the United States over the course of the last 19 months, 737,526. The Dow rallying right now up 102 points, 35,842. And we will watch that and monitor it as the trading day concludes in less than an hour. I want to begin by talking about Virginia and the governor's race there. There are some very interesting things happening. Today, for the fourth consecutive time, four consecutive polls have the race exactly deadlocked. There was a poll yesterday that I saw, 48-48. A few days before that, Monmouth poll, 46-46. Today, USA Today in Suffolk, they're out with their new poll, 45-45. It is a nail-biter in Virginia. And Election Day is one week from today. President Biden is in bright blue Arlington, Virginia, for Terry McAuliffe today. And when you look at some of the polling numbers in particular, I ran through some of the cross-tabs, and I won't wade into the numbers too deeply here. But you want to know how this thing got tied up in a state that Joe Biden won by 10 points one year ago? Well, that same guy who won by 10 points one year ago in Virginia is now underwater by 11 points on job approval in this new poll. He's at 41% approve. So that's a swing. 
independents are going for Glenn Youngkin, the Republican in this poll, by 11 points. Republicans are rallying behind Youngkin. It's going to be, of course, about turnout. Democrats are supporting McAuliffe. White voters, by 18 points, support Glenn Youngkin, the Republican. Black voters, it's 81 to 8 percent for McAuliffe. And that's why you're seeing the turnout game over on the Democratic side. That's why you're seeing Barack Obama and Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams and Mayor Bottoms and a whole host, Jamie Harrison, a whole host of African-American surrogates rushing to Virginia to help Terry McAuliffe because the calculus seems to be if they can hit certain numbers of turnout for black voters and if they get the margins that they want to get or they feel like they can, then they'll win. If not, if Democratic turnout and particularly black Democratic turnout is soft or weak, then there's a real opening here for Glenn Youngkin and the Republicans to win. I did not see a crosstab on Hispanics. I would be fascinated to see that number because there has been a real erosion in Latino support for Democrats recently. I have heard anecdotally, because I know some people on the campaign, that they are feeling like they've made some real gains among Hispanics on Team Youngkin. I've also heard that as of a few years ago, or rather a few years, a few days ago, the Yunkin internal polling had him up a point or two statewide. Now, that's not that far off from all the public polls, four in a row that have it exactly tied. And as we said yesterday, Terry McAuliffe is not acting like a candidate who is confident. Which is not to say he thinks he's going to lose or he is going to lose, but I think what they expected to be a win in a blue state is now at least very much in question. And the dynamic that I've always found interesting about this race in the last couple of weeks, as I've thought more and more about it, is it's going to be a clash and a collision of fundamentals. The state has fundamentally become more of a blue state. I wouldn't call it a bluish purple state. I'd call it a purplish blue state at this point. That benefits McAuliffe. All the other fundamentals, the momentum, the national environment, presidential approval, history in Virginia, the way the electorate tends to vote in an off year, all of those things favor Glenn Young and the Republican. One of those sets of fundamentals is going to win a week from today. We just don't know. We don't know which. And it's going to come down. It's the oldest cliche. It's insipid, but it happens to be true. It all comes down to turnout. If the Democrats can hit their marks in a blue state, they win. That's it, period. Glenn Youngkin could win independence by 10, 11 points, and they could still lose. If Republicans, though, turn out strong, independents break that way, Democrats are a little soft on turnout, that's the way you get to a Youngkin win, and it's totally plausible. What I find interesting is in this poll with uh, Yunkin being up 11 with independence, there are not that many undecided voters left, but disproportionately they are independents. If the late deciders break for Glenn Yunkin, that could be another way that he wins. But do the late deciders actually break for him? I think there's some suggestion in history that would point to that being the case. He's effectively the opposition, the challenger. With an unpopular president, not great things happening in the country, you would think 
that people would probably break if they haven't decided yet, considering that Terry McAuliffe was the governor already, that they would break for the other guy? Or do they just stay home, those people? Who stays home is just as big of a story, frankly, about how this election turns out as who shows up. Last point about this new poll, this 45-45 tied poll in Virginia. We've been telling you about the issue of education and how Terry McAuliffe really stepped in it and then doubled and tripled down for a couple weeks about, you know, parents and education, how parents really shouldn't be that involved. Parents should be not telling schools what they should or should not teach. Well, in this survey, they asked Virginia voters, what do you think about this? Should parents or school boards have more of an influence on a school's curriculum? Majority said parents. 39% said school boards. So it's a double-digit margin in favor of parents on this question, which is the wrong side of the issue for Terry McAuliffe, which is why all of a sudden he's running a bunch of ads backtracking and backpedaling and sort of pretending like, oh, I, I didn't really say the thing I said. It's just a smear. No, you said it. You said it on the debate stage, and then you made sure that everyone knew that you believed it in subsequent interviews. So Republicans on this question side parents over school board, 79 to 12 percent. It's a blowout. Independents also side heavily with parents, 57 percent to 32 over the school board. So, so independents are much more Republican leaning on this question or pro-parent, I should say. On this question by what, 25 points. It's not even close. Democrats are the other way. 70 percent of Democrats say it should be school board officials who make these decisions and not parents. Only 16 percent of Democratic voters sided with parents in this question, which to me says that Terry McAuliffe actually accurately stated the Democrat position on this. Pro officials, anti parents. That's what Democrats actually believe. The problem for him and the reason that he's now doing all of this defensive stuff on ads and pretending he's getting smeared and all that is independent voters, the broader electorate, they don't agree. So that's what we're getting. And uh, President Obama, former president, he came in over the weekend for Terry McAuliffe, had you know one of his big rallies, although it wasn't really that big, said typical stuff that Barack Obama has always said. At these types of events. And look, it's fine. I saw people, you know, just swooning. Members of the media, oh, he's just so good. He's just so good at this. You know, Barack Obama is very good at getting Barack Obama elected. He was not so good at getting other Democrats elected. 2009, 2010, 2014, when he wasn't on the ballot, the Democrats did horribly during the Obama era. I don't know if he's going to help. Terry McAuliffe enough, but they're scared. They're clearly scared enough that they're bringing in the biggest guns they can find. Glenn Youngkin, by the way, is just doing his own thing. He's not having a bunch of surrogates and national Republicans. He wants to make the race local, Virginia issues, jobs, economy, schools. And what does Barack Obama characterize the school concerns as how did he frame that at the rally over the weekend? Here's what he said in cut 31. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped up culture wars, this fake outrage that the right wing media's pedals to juice their ratings. And the fact that he's willing to go along with it 
instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people? That's a shame. Uh Uh-huh. It's just a trumped-up, made-up culture war. People being concerned about what's being taught in schools. There was a big walkout in Loudoun County, Virginia, one of these suburban counties today. A bunch of students walked out of school in protest of the sexual assaults that happened that were covered up by the school board. The superintendent of the school board said, we knew nothing about this. We had no idea. Documents showed that they did. They were emailing each other about it. They knew that it happened. They denied it publicly to voters and to parents at the time. They denied it. This was a cover-up because they thought it would be unhelpful to another narrative on another controversy that they were dealing with, a bathroom policy. It has made an alleged rape go away. And in fact, a judge has now ruled on that case and ruled that, yes, there was a sexual assault that occurred. And there's another sexual assault by the same alleged assailant. They haven't gotten to that case yet. I saw the video of the kids walking out of school. Is that a trumped up culture war? President Obama. These parents who are upset about what they're seeing in curricula, what they're seeing with schools trying to rename schools named after Thomas Jefferson, because that's apparently racist or something. Getting rid of merit-based admissions for certain schools because that's not in favor of equity, whatever that line is. Parents who are worried about what their kids are learning. That's all made up. It's just what? Right-wing media, is that what he said? Right-wing media? Well, actually, the voters are speaking quite clearly. And on the school's issues, when it gets polled, Democrats are losing on this stuff. That's probably why they want to convince themselves that it's all a bunch of fake, made-up nonsense. By the way, if Terry McAuliffe wins in Virginia, then they will view, the Democrats will, all of this is sort of vindicated. That's why I think the stakes in this race are pretty high. The fact that it's roughly tied, well, exactly tied in the last four polls, is pretty extraordinary given the fact, again, that this was a Biden plus 10 state. But I think you're starting to see a few signs. Axios had a story. Is Terry McAuliffe getting desperate? McAuliffe was mad. I guess they did an interview with Youngkin. So he said, well, I want an interview. So Axios said, sure. Then the McAuliffe people said, "Okay, but you only get five minutes. And he bristled at some of the questions he was asked, just like he walked out of another interview recently. He didn't like the questions he was being asked there because it's a fake issues no one cares about. But they keep asking me about it and people are upset about it and parents are upset about it. That doesn't count. He wants to tweet about abortion on demand for all of pregnancy for nine months or whatever in all capital letters. That's what he wants to talk about. They're also mischaracterizing one of the controversies in this race. CNN, of course, going along with it. In fact, I will tell you about that when we come back. I want you to hear this because CNN seems to be also getting a little bit worried about their preferred candidate, Terry McAuliffe, in this race. So they're carrying some water. Just literally 20 minutes ago, I'll tell you what the topic of concern over at CNN was when we come back on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. 
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As a parent, it's tough to catch everything. So when my son showed me his reading assignment, my heart sunk. It was some of the most explicit material you can imagine. Back on the Guy Benson Show, that's a woman called Laura Murphy in Virginia. She's in one of the Glenn Youngkin ads talking about schools. And Terry McAuliffe, as governor, vetoed some bills that would have allowed parents to be aware of explicit material, sexually explicit material that their kids were at least being offered in school curricula or libraries. He vetoed those bills, and they were fighting over that on the debate stage, which is when McAuliffe said, well, I don't want parents – deciding what can be taught. And so Laura Murphy is in this ad, and already the Democrats are out there saying, oh, well, her her student was in high school. And the book in question is a book by Toni Morrison. It's called Beloved. It's award-winning. I guess there's a bestiality scene in it. And she's trying to ban the books, and Terry McAuliffe tweeted that Glenn Youngkin is trying to focus on banning award-winning books and silencing the voices of black authors. That's the way Terry McAuliffe is framing this. But in fact, this woman never said she wanted anything banned. She wanted to know about this and have an opportunity to opt her own kid out. Terry McAuliffe says, well, that's trying to ban books and silencing black authors immediately making this racial, of course, which is what Democrats do all the time. The problem is... The bills, because he vetoed it twice, the bills on this exact issue had multiple Democrats who voted in favor of the bills, including more than a dozen members of the Black Caucus in Virginia. So the Youngkin campaign is saying, "Okay, Terry, you're lying about this. The Washington Post actually fact-checked Terry McAuliffe, saying that he's mischaracterizing the bills that he vetoed. It was not about vetoing books or banning books or taking them off the shelves. That's a lie that he keeps saying. And if you want to make it about racism, are the black Democrats who voted in favor of this legislation, in favor of parents and parents' awareness, are they racist? Are they also playing the race card? Terry McAuliffe calls it a a racist dog whistle that's going on here. Are these Democrats in his own party? Black Democrats, are they playing the race card, Terry? It's just so pathetic. And, of course, CNN, they led their hour in this hour, top of the hour today, they led out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. With the McCall of Spin, award-winning novel Beloved becomes issue in Virginia race. They're all very concerned. I think they're concerned about Terry McAuliffe. Maybe they should be. One week away. Katie Pavlich coming up next. Guy Benson Show. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. GuyBensonShow.com As we return to the Guy Benson Show, thanks for being here with us every weekday. If you miss any of the live show, there's a podcast for that, GuyBensonShow.com. We are joined now by our friend and colleague, Katie Pavlich. She's the editor of TownHall.com, where I also work. And she's a Fox News contributor, which I also am. Katie Pavlich, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having me. Great to be here and to always be twinning with you with all of our jobs. Yes, love it. You're not a radio host yet. One never knows. Katie, I want to ask you about Virginia in particular. I know this is a race that you've been paying a lot of attention to. I have to ask, just as a friend, um, have you made a plan to vote? I have made a plan to vote. I'm going to vote on Election Day. So I, you know, I looked at the schedule, but I'm going to be in town. I'm going to be here on Election Day. So that's my plan. <laughs> that's so a lot of Republicans in particular, vote on Election Day. I will likely be traveling on Election Day, so I have already voted. And one of our mutual friends, one of my best friends who just had a baby, we will celebrate that later in the show, Mary Catherine Ham. she and I were chatting about this. She's like, no, I'm you know, look, I'm a conservative. I vote on Election Day. That's my plan. This was like a week or two ago. I said, but Mary Catherine, you have a due date. What happens if you are literally giving birth on Election Day? She's like, oh, that is a good point. So she voted early. <laughs> so yeah, good, I've been good, sort good. of, uh, yes. yeah, we're, we're making sure. Look, there's, there's a lot at stake in this race. It's awfully close. Nip and tuck. Last four polls I mentioned at the top of the show have been tied. And, Katie, I want to get your reaction. I sort of commented a bit on it earlier, but I want to get your reaction to what President Obama, the former president, he came in, did this rally for uh, for McAuliffe. Apparently, in terms of size, it really wasn't any bigger than the solo Glenn Youngkin rally that he was doing elsewhere in the state uh, over the weekend. But Obama seemed to be very dismissive of all the school concerns, all the equity and critical race theory and just the whole bucket of issues surrounding schools where it's very obvious that Glenn Youngkin has gained ground on those issues. Obama seems upset about that. He says it's phony. He says it's the right-wing media ginning stuff up, trumping stuff up. Cut 31. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars, this fake outrage that the right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings, and the fact that he's willing to go along with it instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people, that's a shame. I feel like education is a serious issue that affects serious people, but Barack Obama says it's phony, fake, the invention of uh, right-wing media, Katie. Yeah, I I also think that uh, transgender policy that puts young women at risk is a serious issue for serious people. Uh, The first thing is that the idea that Terry McAuliffe has had to bring in uh, Stacey Abrams, Barack Obama, Gretchen Whitmer, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, all to try and get him over the finish line shows you that they're in deep trouble. Uh, about a month ago, they were door knocking in in like deep blue Arlington, making sure that people were going to get out to vote for the McAuliffe campaign. Uh, the idea that the former president 
uh, came in and argued that these very serious issues that, by the way, taxpayers are paying for, they pay for the schools, they pay for their children's education, are some trumped up idea when everybody can see what's going on. They can see that parents are being locked out of school board meetings uh, and all the things that we've talked about, um, I think only makes people want to get out and vote on behalf of of Glenn Youngkin even more. Um, To have Barack Obama come in and and do this divisive, you know, make these divisive statements as an outsider of someone who doesn't live in Virginia, who's not dealing with these issues firsthand, and to kind of shove them off as the right-wing media is running the campaign in Virginia, which Trump lost by, what, 10 points? Um, It's insulting, and it's just, you know, completely cut off from reality and what people are dealing with in the state. And it's obvious with the way that Terry McAuliffe is behaving. He's behaving very defensive. Uh, He's bringing all Mm -hmm. these people in to try and get him to pass the finish line. Uh, and it's very clear that they know there's a race going on, and that's why they have to insult people rather than focus on the issues. Yeah, and what's sort of depressing to me is it might work still. I mean, you know, given the way McAuliffe has conducted this campaign and given the issues at stake and given the way things are happening in the country, the way things are going in terms of the economy and inflation and, and everything, Joe Biden in some of these new polls, I mean, he's in the low 40s in Virginia. The fact that they even have a shot at winning. In fact, I'd say maybe even still slight favorites to win. I mean, that does show you how blue the state has become. However, this is very much a jump ball at this point. And I think you can tell that it's a jump ball because they are acting scared. They're acting anxious. And to your point, Katie, the idea that parents being worried about schools is just a figment of a right-wing fever dream imagination, it is belied by actual activity on the ground and people's actual behavior in their lives. There was a story out yesterday. Enrollment in Fairfax County's public schools now fallen more than 10,000 students since the onset of the pandemic. Schools were closed for a year in Virginia. They want to sort of pretend like that didn't happen, right? That's like, oh, all these trumped up issues, what, like schools being closed for a year? You have that and you layer on top all the woke craziness and and the racial stuff and the sexual assault issue that's now come up in another suburban county. But in Fairfax, a big, important, very Democratic county, people are voting with their feet. You've got enrollment in these schools down 10,000. That's not phony. That's reality. Well, and it's not just about education, right? You just laid out all these problems with the education system. But Glenn Youngkin's run a very smart campaign. He's taken national issues and really you know, honed in on them in terms of how they affect Virginians. He's sending out flyers about how he's going to to, uh, repeal the grocery tax at a time when groceries are through the roof. That makes a difference to people. He's talking Mm -hmm. about suspending the gas tax in Virginia for a period of time while inflation goes through the roof as a result of Joe Biden's policies, right? So he's bringing that national, uh, you know, the national polling of Joe Biden in a place where he is usually very popular home so people can say yeah you know what it would be really nice if my grocery bill were less because i have we don't have to pay taxes on it for for a year or two i mean those are things that really impact people they're not phony made-up issues and the other thing too and the left does this all the time they always accuse the right of waging a culture war the left is waging a culture war and then they dare to gaslight and say well you're defending yourself against our tax yeah, if and we notice we're waging the culture war, they're the ones yeah, doing we'll, it and conservatives simply defend themselves. 
Yeah, like they launched these culture war missiles, and we're like, hang on, you just shot some missiles at us. We don't want this. They're like, stop with your culture wars. <laughs> it's just like it is gaslighting. Katie, I have to say, did you see the tweets and the images of the lawn signs on like the medians on the highway in northern Virginia and Arlington where it says, keep parents out of schools, vote McAuliffe, keep Virginia blue. Have you seen these? Was that a real thing? Was that a real sign? See, that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, the signs exist, but I saw the photos of it, and I literally sat there staring at it, and I said, is this Republican trolling? Because that's pretty funny. Or is this actually a Democratic sign? The fact that it took me a while to – my suspicion is it's Republican trolling, but I'm not 100% sure – I think that in and of itself is relatively telling because this sort of uh, parents can stuff it mentality. You saw the Washington Post publish an op-ed from some education experts yesterday saying parents don't have a role. They don't have a seat at the table for their kids' education. Randy Weingarten, a big teachers union boss, big McAuliffe supporter, big Dem, of course, uh, she retweeted the article saying this is fantastic. They seem to be sending a very clear signal to parents on the Democratic side, we don't like you, we want to control what your children learn, and we would much prefer if you got out of our way, thank you very much. I feel like parents, even if they're maybe left of center, might be a bit uncomfortable with that mentality. Well, and if you read through that Washington Post op-ed, it's essentially arguing you know, that schools should always be public and it's for the public good and therefore we should never be funding school vouchers or, or, you know, have taxpayer money go towards some kind of charter schools. And so, you know, that's why you think the sign about it, you know, keeping kids out of or parents out of uh, the classroom is real because you have major people who play a role in these teachers unions endorsing the idea that parents have no role. And by the way, if you want to take your taxpayer money, which is used to fund the public school system, you should never be allowed to use it for any right. kind of private schooling. So they want all the money, right? We saw them uh, essentially black and a monopoly, uh, right? They want yeah, all the, the money and a monopoly more money during COVID. Exactly. And they, they don't want to have any choice. They want to take your money and then tell you to shut up. And that you don't have any say about how they use it. You know what, Katie? Something funny just happened. You had a quick partial Freudian slip. You corrected yourself. But you said, oh, it's the sign about keeping kids out of school. You said, oh, no, parents out of school. I will remind everyone, they also kept kids out of school for one school year, right? So they kept parents out of schools now. That's their current uh you know, their current push is to keep parents out of schools and and out of the business of educating kids. And last year for an academic year, they also locked kids out of school based on no science. And yet they fancied themselves the pro-education, pro-science, pro-child party. And I just think that there are a lot of voters, some independents in particular, whose eyes have really been opened over the last two years. And that's why in a Dem plus 10 state, Four polls in a row have this race exactly tied. Katie, this is another story related that I just want to run past you briefly. I know that the Democrats have on their ticket the attorney general, Mark Herring, uh, who's a white man who wore blackface earlier in his life. And the current governor who's campaigning frequently and passionately for Terry McAuliffe, who McAuliffe initially had said should resign because of his blackface scandal. Now, I guess blackface, it's all fine. There is an actual black person on the Republican ticket. Her name is Winsome Sears. I don't know much about her, but I saw this tweet from Brent Scher from the uh, from the Free Beacon. 
And here's what he wrote. And there's a photo of her in her uniform when she was in the Marines. Shouldn't the media be all over a black woman who immigrated from Jamaica, served in the Marines, has a master's degree, ran a homeless women's shelter, raised three kids, and is now running to be the highest ranking minority woman government official in Virginia history? Winsome Sears. And I will confess fully, Katie, I've already voted for Winsome Sears for lieutenant governor. I did not know half of those things about her, that she was an immigrant, that she is an immigrant, that she served in the Marines, that she ran a a shelter for homeless women. I mean, I did not know those things. And I cannot help but think the reason that we are not having a big swooning national uh, sort of focus and spotlight on this woman as a rising star in politics might just be, frankly, because she's a member of the wrong party. Is that too cynical? Only reason. No, that's exactly the reason why. I mean, compare her resume to that of, I don't know, the vice president of the United States uh, and how she was celebrated in this historic uh, moment. Right. But this woman who is running against two men and you give Ralph Northam, I think, too much credit guy. I mean, I say I would argue if I was a betting woman and I put money on the table, he was in the KKK hood. Not the black oh, fair point. Fact check. Fact check. We don't know if he was <laughs> blackface or KKK. Know. That is true. Yes. And so, um, yeah, we would be, if, if she were a Democrat, she would be nationally known, booked on every single cable news show uh, you could possibly find. And if you had any you know, qualms with her uh, policy positions, then you would be called a racist. But because she's a Republican running in Virginia, a self-made woman who has ma- earned her way based on merit, not based on her skin color, uh, you're hearing nothing about her. And that says all you need to know about the way Democrats use race as a political weapon, not because they necessarily care about diversity uh, in their party. Do you have a gut instinct on the way this race goes, Katie, at the governor level? Because I really go back and forth. Uh, there, there are certain things that I see and I read and I hear and I think, you know, I think Youngkin's going to actually win this thing. And then I have, you know, just these traumatizing flashbacks to Mitt Romney in 2012 and the big rallies he was having. And, and it just didn't work out that same way. I have seen people point out, and it's true, you've probably seen it too, in blue parts of Northern Virginia, I have seen more red Glenn Youngkin signs around than I can ever recall seeing. I've lived there for 11 years. I do not remember ever seeing this number of Republican signs in in that overall neck of the woods. I don't know if that's just confirmation bias or I'm just sort of, you know, wanting to see it or it's just anecdotal evidence that won't actually pan out in terms of results. But I also can't completely dismiss it as nothing. Yeah. No, I, I, I think he has a chance. I quite frankly, don't know what's going to happen. But based on the behavior from Democrats and Terry McAuliffe's mm-hmm. defensive attitude, it's very obvious that they think that they can lose. And if they think that they can lose in, you know, blue Virginia and they're door knocking a couple weeks out in deep blue, you know, the People's Republic of Arlington, uh, I think that shows yeah. that, that Glenn Youngkin's got a pretty good chance. Yeah. And they're bringing in Joe Biden today to feel the excitement of Joe Biden in Arlington. Well, we'll be watching. It's a week from today, and uh, I'm glad that you have your plan to vote. I will be uh, encouraging everyone, even if you agree or disagree with my position, if you live in Virginia, get out there and vote. But especially if you agree with my position, please vote. Katie Pavlich, our friend and our colleague twice over at townhall.com, Fox News contributor. Uh, Interesting stuff, fascinating race, and I think 
we'll be looking at the actual results and reading some tea leaves, win, lose, or draw, looking ahead a year from now to the midterms as well. Because again, this is a D plus 10 state. There are some districts and some Senate races in D plus one or two states. And we'll see if we can extrapolate, you know, what's happening in Virginia to some of those races moving forward. Katie Pavlich, always appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye. You bet. It's the Guy Benson Show. We will step aside and return after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As we continue here on The Guy Benson Show, I saw a photograph yesterday of President Biden. He was up in New Jersey. There's also a race there. Some polls have showed that race getting closer, like single digits, mid-single digits close. The governor's race there. Uh, with the incumbent Democrat, Phil Murphy, in the lead. And it's Joe Biden. He enters a classroom, and almost none of the kids even react. He's like, hey, everyone. And they're all like, over here playing with their blocks. Because they're tiny children. Like These are little, little kids playing with their blocks. And they all, of course, are wearing masks based on no science. But that's what they're doing. Joe Biden is also wearing a mask. This is a man tested all the time as president, a man who is now triple vaccinated, who does not have the virus. He's, I guess, wearing a mask to protect the kids who also aren't at risk from COVID, who are also needlessly wearing masks. It's all for the science, you understand, and safety. But there are reports based on a recording that at least there's an indication that Governor Murphy, the Democrat in New Jersey, they are mulling, implementing a bunch of mandates or requirements after the election on COVID, like vaccine requirements or vaccine passports. And there was, I guess, a some footage of a, a campaign official or a Murphy official suggesting that they want to wait until the election is over and then perhaps impose some of these measures. And I know for a fact there are parents in Virginia who are quite worried about Terry McAuliffe. I have not heard McAuliffe ask directly if he's going to, for example, require the vaccine for kids in schools, like six-year-old kids or whatever in Virginia. That's maybe something he should be on the record about before November the 2nd, a week from today. Because they might want to wait the clock, run out the clock until after the election, and then do things. Hey, media, this is part of your job. These questions should be asked explicitly, and voters deserve answers before the election. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is a new hour on the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for tuning in every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. GuyBensonShow.com is our online home. There's the free podcast. All sorts of goodies at GuyBensonShow.com. As a reminder, I'll be on special report tonight on the panel with Brett Bayer and friends. That's the 6 p.m. hour 
Eastern Fox News Channel. Also co-hosting Outnumbered tomorrow, noon Eastern on Fox News Channel. Fox News Alert as we begin the middle hour. Big day on Wall Street. Record closes for the Dow and the S&P 500. Dow ending the day up 15 to 35,756. I'm happy to welcome back to the show, though the first time he's been on with me, David Asher, who is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. He was the lead investigator into COVID origins at the State Department. And his work at the Hudson Institute focuses on U.S. foreign policy in Asia, particularly on economic and financial policy toward adversaries. Mr. Asher, great to have you back. Thank you, David. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I would like to pick your brain about this whole controversy involving gain-of-function research, funding from the NIH, and Dr. Fauci's various denials. And I have to just admit out of the gate, it is so far over my head and above my pay grade, it's hard for me to just watch the denials from Fauci and then watch the gotchas from other people like Senator Rand Paul and really understand what the arguments are here, because it seems like they're talking right past each other. There was a categorical denial under oath from Dr. Fauci back in May. He was testifying in Congress, and he said this, quote, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, there are some indications, almost like an admission it would seem from NIH, that that is not entirely true. But Fauci saying, no, no, I was always truthful about this. You're misunderstanding the definition of gain-of-function research. David, can you shed some light on this? What do you make of this back and forth? Well, I mean, as the lead investigator uh, for the Secretary of State into this matter uh, of the origins of COVID-19 and the relationship with China, uh, uh, including why China covered up the existence of COVID-19 for two months, even though it was they know at the highest levels, uh, Xi Jinping, the president's level, that it was spreading. And then they left 400,000 people leave China and head to Europe. Uh, Trump closed our borders. So uh, to try China directly, thank God. But unfortunately, a lot of people brought it from Europe. And we probably already had an ex- uh, quite a number of people who had it in the U.S. in the fall of uh, late fall of, of 2019. The key thing is gain of function research. I can categorically say from my perspective as investigator was being funded by the NIH at the Wuhan Institute from at least 2015, uh, probably longer. I talked to uh, maybe 50 U.S. government scientists, including NIH scientists, and uh, uh, they were in general agreement that the research that was done and reported in published papers, including a famous paper by a guy named Dr. Ralph Barrick from University of North Carolina and Dr. Shi, the bat lady at Wuhan Institute, did constitute gain-of-function research. They were increasing the pathogenicity quite considerably of uh, coronavirus. Uh, and that's the thing that Rand Paul, uh, Senator Paul, uh, uh, you know, hammered uh, Fauci on, and Fauci categorically denied and called him a liar. Um, well, now the NIH, uh, as of October 20th last week, uh, responded to a letter from uh, Representative James Comer, uh, who's a ranking member member on the House Oversight and Reform Committee, 
where they admitted that the Eco Health Alliance in uh, 2018 2019 grant period was conducting uh, back coronavirus gain of function research, but they only found out about it in August of 2021, which I also think to be at least borderline a lie. I mean, we're seeing a cover-up of a cover-up of a cover-up. The Chinese covered up uh, from, from, uh, that it was spreading. They covered up where it came from, and even though they seemed to know from day one, based on what we saw at State, we saw no real sense that they were looking for it. So they obviously had a clear idea where it came from. And then um, NIH has been covering up its own involvement, as have many other U.S. agencies. Department of Defense, uh, uh, especially something called the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, uh, seem to be, as uh, uh, you know, people at state jokes, that it have been the Defense Threat Conduction Agency. They funded all sorts of bioweapons-related research at Wuhan. Um, and they would have known that the Wuhan Institute had been associated with China's biological weapons research program for decades. I mean, this is the crazy thing. But Although I have to say, the one time I tried to pin down Dr. Fauci on this directly, he said, oh, he didn't have time to read intelligence. He doesn't know what they're doing over there in China, but he trusts that it's all good science. I'm like, Really? You really you trust the communist regime that's aims to, uh, to destabilize us and topple us? <laughs> I mean, have you read the State Department's own fact sheet that we put out for visitors to China about the risks no. in China? No, I, mean, I, I don't like, think in this – People that are ridiculously um, dishonest and people that are also just uh, willfully trying to d- do research that is – you know, extremely dangerous and 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 and, and, and reckless. And 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 you know, on, on the Fauci point, really quickly, David, to jump in on what he said about Chinese scientists, I think this is one of the areas where, at best, you could argue that Fauci is being almost mind-bogglingly naive to say, "Well, I have these Chinese counterparts, and I like them." And they're good people and good scientists, and therefore all the science here is good and it's separate and apart from the regime. I mean there is just no daylight between the regime and the science going on in that country. Even if there are good, talented scientists that Fauci personally knows and likes, you don't have to attack those people personally to understand the system that they're forced to live under and operate under. And to just sort of give the CCP the benefit of the doubt the way that he has in some of these interviews and obviously with you as well, I think that that is disturbing. It's at the very least, again, a huge blind spot for Fauci. But I want to come back, though, to the definition of gain-of-function research because it seems like what Fauci is saying is, well, you've got it all wrong. There was some money going through – the Eco Health Alliance, which is run by this guy who's turned out to be, you know, a friend and an ally of Dr. Fauci, they were funding through U.S. agencies some of this research. That might be true, but Fauci's insisting that it's not really gain-of-function research under specific protocols or definitions. Is that a dodge? Because I think if his goal is to just muddy the waters and confuse people and sort of get bogged down in technicalities where he appeals to just sort of his authority, that might be a strategy that's working for a lot of folks because it's hard for me to make heads or tails out of it. Well, what I've heard from people at NIH who are sort of sources of mine um, and colleagues formerly when I was at State is that the, the Fauci and Collins – 
conspired to create a definition in retrospect, a really retrospective definition of gain of function, that if anything that increased the pathogenicity of a coronavirus or whatever else by one log, which is 10x, is a gain of function. Well, the research they did under the grant, as far as I've been able to tell uh, at Wuhan Institute, uh, increase the pathogenicity by between 1,000 and 10,000 times. So it's obviously a lot larger than 10x. Um, and, you know, the fact that Dr. Collins went on CNN the other day in a rather insulting interview to the interviewer, to the interview, he was very insulting to the interviewer, who uh, did a good, great job, uh, and basically tried to dodge us and, and said that, you know, you shouldn't be at looking under the rock at NIH because we know we're good people. We would never do anything bad. I mean, it, it, you know, the fact that they, that they didn't, they say they didn't know about what was going on with this grant that was awarded in 2018 until August of this year, I think, number one, is untrue. Number two, I think it's, um, it's a deliberate falsehood that's being propagated, and that is a conspiracy. And a conspiracy to cover up is a federal crime. I mean, it, it, as is lying to Congress. I mean, when you take the oath of office, you're made aware of these types of things. You have to maintain fiduciary responsibility to tell the truth, even if you're not on in front of Congress and under sworn testimony. But uh, yeah. she was under sworn testimony. So I think that basically this is the gotcha moment. Their own documents are going to show this. There's a huge number of uh, 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 emails that were done around February 1st, February 2nd, 2020, where uh, Fauci and Collins got on the phone with a bunch of scientists in the United States and Great Britain and coached them to change their view that this thing looked genetically altered, i.e. the sequence of COVID-19, uh, and to say that it wasn't, and using basically the, the hammer of that we're the guy who grants you all the money, and if you defy us, we're going to cut your budget. I mean, whether they ever said that exactly, it was the implication from I, from what I heard from multiple people who were on those emails, and there was a number of phone calls. So, I mean, that is a conspiracy to try to deceive. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, but like, there's a, there's a level at which this madness is has got to stop, and people have to and realize say, that there's responsibility not for creating COVID-19, but creating the conditions that led to it, most possibly, and also covering up uh, what they did to contribute. David Asher is my guest, senior fellow at Hudson Institute. He was the lead investigator into the origins of COVID under the State Department, the Trump administration. And, yeah, you've got sort of these appeals to authority and expertise from Fauci. And I know that there are other scientists saying he's playing semantic games here. This was gain-of-function research. He's pointing to one definition saying, no, you know, it's not. And you just have to trust me. You're not really understanding. And that will be true for the vast majority of the population, just saying you got to trust me. I'm not sure that he has earned that implicit trust anymore. I think, you know, at this point, it's pretty safe to say in the eyes of many millions of Americans, he has not. And for Dr. Collins to just appeal with umbrage, right, just saying, well, we're the NIH. So, of course, we wouldn't do this because we're the NIH. That also is not good enough. So I hope that when... They're asked about these things inevitably again. We can get people who are uh, true experts in the field to help corner them and, and not really allow them to go down these rabbit holes and get deep into the weeds, perhaps cynically for the purpose of confusion. Because at least speaking for myself, I'm just a simple person. Uh, it, that has worked. Uh, but my suspicion of this man and his veracity is I think earned and has been earned now over more than a year. I want to ask you one more question, David, on your 
charge at the State Department of finding the origin of COVID-19. I'm not sure we'll ever get the full truth because the Chinese government saw to it that we never would. Destroying evidence, punishing whistleblowers, you know, all of it. They've had a long time to clean it up. They're still denying access. You know, the investigation that happened was a, a total sham. Basically, everyone understands that. Based on everything, David, that you know, based on everything that you have seen and learned, and also just applying some level of common sense on a scale of one to 10, one being not likely, 10 being very likely. How likely is the lab leak theory in your mind? I'd say it's about nine, about probably 95 percent confidence that a lab origin was involved in the creation of COVID-19 or an immediate predecessor that then morphed into COVID-19. I think it's every single box is checked that they were doing the research on all the different features that are distinct in the sequence, whether it's the lungs of human beings that were done through mice, so-called humanized mice. They had bats that were live bats that were uh, probably much closer progenitors than the ones that have been made public based on what we know uh, in the Wuhan Institute. And they had pangolins and the pangolins are uh, uh, creatures with a very distinct uh, receptor binder domain that is uh, very much uh, trans, uh, very transmittable into humans. So all the key genetic features, so the sequence, let's imagine I'm a crime scene investigator, which I am, and it's a, a fingerprint, is it the fingerprint sequence is a fingerprint? All the, thing, the fingerprint, all the features of the finger are on the sequence, and all that sequence research was being done in that lab, including with U.S. government funding. I don't think we need the Chinese to find out what happened. I think we need to raid the EcoHealth Alliance, uh, subpoena them first, but then I think there should be a federal law enforcement raid on their, on their data and arrest their scientists and start questioning them, because I think they know what was going on. And frankly, I think NIH has a lot of data internally, as is the DOD and other government agencies, including state where I worked, that has not been looked at. And it wasn't considered intelligence by the intelligence mm. community. And I, you no. know, and I'll say in final, as someone who comes from the intelligence community, who's collected intelligence, we can break into this program. The idea that we may never know is totally outrageous and inexcusable. Huh. I'm sorry. That's why we get paid. We get paid to steal secret data from foreign adversaries, and we are pretty good at it. So this idea we may never know is just outrageous. And it's also just a virus that has killed millions of people and over 700,000 Americans. And just adding to that fingerprint analogy, we also know that the lab in Wuhan had some security issues in terms of in the past, right, with things that were supposed to be secure that were not secure enough. And, I mean, you sort of add all of it together, and I can understand why you might say 9 out of 10 or, you know, 9.5 out of 10. David Asher, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. He was the lead investigator into the origins of COVID-19 at the State Department. David, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. Appreciate it. Take care. It is The Guy Benson Show, and we will be right back. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show, and this is a Fox News alert just coming across. The FDA 
a group of advisors at the FDA, have endorsed Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for children between the ages of 5 and 11. And this is an issue that we discussed at some length yesterday with Dr. Nicole Sapphire here on the show. If you missed that interview, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it at GuyBensonShow.com on the free podcast yesterday. Because I asked her about this. I am a very pro-vaccines person. As many of you know, I was preaching about it and still do. I think it's the right thing for folks to do. I got vaccinated as soon as I possibly could for a variety of different reasons, and I've explained those reasons. I think that they're good reasons, including conversations I've had with all of our experts, our medical experts here at Fox who've been on this show very uh, graciously and generously with their time so frequently throughout this pandemic. I will also say that I don't believe if I had a kid who was seven or eight or something like that, I don't think I would immediately rush out the same way to get that kid vaccinated for COVID. At some point, I might. By no means am I saying, you know, hell no, we won't go. We're not going to do it. I want to see a lot more information. I have doubts about whether young kids who are at extremely low risk of severe outcomes from COVID need the vaccine. So whereas I was, you know, signing up on day one of eligibility to go get vaccinated, I, as if I were a parent, I would not be in that boat yet at this exact moment. And then mandates are an entirely different question. And I think, as I've said a few times, I think that could be the next round of big, big fights. And I think some politicians might be waiting until after an election to take a position on that mandates for children. But I am hopeful. Look, if this can help protect kids, I'm all for it. Let's see all of the data. Let's talk to doctors. And we will be doing exactly that on The Guy Benson Show a lot. We'll be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. GuyBensonShow.com. As we're back on The Guy Benson Show, we have talked a lot about China. In fact, earlier this hour, fascinating interview, if you missed it, with our guest, David Asher, about COVID origins, gain-of-function research, cover-ups. In fact, if you missed it, I would urge you to go back and listen on the free podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. We talk a lot about communist China, Beijing, their intentions, their designs, their behavior, and something that frequently frustrates me and galls me is the extent to which a lot of Western and American corporations will do whatever China wants in order to make as much money as they can. And I am a capitalist. I am very much a believer. Go out and make as much money as you can. You've got a responsibility to your employees and your shareholders and everything, right? The more people you can employ, the better, the bigger the dividends, the better. I'm all for all of that. There are certain limits, and there are certain values that I think as Americans we ought to demand our brands live up to, especially when they won't stop preening about values, values, values here at home. And often those values, by the way, are woke left-wing values. And they make a big show out of it because they've decided that within their specific demographics and wider culture wars. It's the smart business play because conservatives aren't really going to do much, even if they're mad about it. 
and this is what they do. This is their calculation. But when they stand up for things here at home and they make a big show out of it, then they go over to China and they'll do basically whatever the regime tells them to do in order to keep that money flowing. There is a big disconnect there, and it is outrageous. And I think it just sort of shows, it it demonstrates the cynicism, the hypocrisy, the phoniness of some of these uh, corporate America boardrooms and CEOs and decision makers. And we've been very tough on the NBA, for example. We've been very tough on Nike as well, which is why, and we mentioned this in a previous show recently also, I'm just so impressed by Enos Cantor of the Boston Celtics, who at least seems to actually care and believe in something. And he's willing, unlike Colin Kaepernick, who I think his entire grift was done in a very self-serving way, Enos Cantor is going against the grain and taking a real risk, I would say. He's done so literally in criticizing the government of Turkey, his home country. He's now looking at the landscape, seeing what's happened to other people who have criticized China within the NBA world, all that money involved. And he has just decided, you know what? My support for human rights matters more than any of that. So I'm going to just keep talking about it. So he talked about Tibet. He's now talked about the Uyghurs as well. He's been putting out videos almost every day. He's got free China T-shirts and sneakers. And he's now challenging Nike directly. I'm sh- I guarantee you there are people inside the NBA who are extremely unhappy with Enos Cantor for what he's doing right now. But he's doing the right thing. Here's his latest video talking directly to Nike, the employees, the leadership of Nike. Listen to Cut 22. Your company says that you are making a positive impact in our communities. And that is true. Yes, you are. Here in the United States. Nike stands with the Black Lives Matter. Nike stands with Stop Asian Hate. Nike stands with the Latino community. And Nike stands with the LGBTQ community. And Nike remains vocal about injustice here in America. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent. You do not address police brutality in China. You do not speak about discrimination against the LGBTQ community. You do not say a word about the oppression of minorities in China. You are scared to speak up. Who makes your shoes in China? Do you even know? There are so many forced labor factories in China. For instance, Uyghur forced labor in modern day slavery. And it is happening right now in China. Yep. Forced labor camps. State Department is called a genocide. That's what's happening in China. No one wants to say it in the NBA because there's a lot of sweet, sweet cash there. Same at Nike. So Enos Cantor, you can disagree with him on BLM or on LGBT issues or whatever. But he's saying, okay, Nike, here are your supposed values and positions here in America. That's what you say. Over there, not a word from you. I would actually just object to one thing in that soundbite. Addressing Nike, he said, quote, when it comes to China, Nike remains silent. I would argue that it's actually worse than that. Nike isn't just silent, turning a blind eye, sweeping under the rug in pursuit of their profits. They've gone actually a a very significant step further. Do you remember when Daryl Morey 
Then the uh, G- the Rockets GM tweeted in favor of democracy in Hong Kong, and everyone lost their minds. And LeBron James scolded him. I mean, LeBron's got to be looking at Enos Cantor and be like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Enos Cantor is schooling LeBron James on actual courage and leadership. LeBron has a lot of talent and some positive characteristics. He was way off on China. He has really stepped in it on some other political issues because he's he's all 100% in on the woke stuff. But not so much on China because the woke stuff would require you, if you actually believed some of it, to be furious about what's happening in China to minorities. But when someone just lightly stood up for Hong Kong, LeBron, there were reports that he was pushing for that person to be punished for saying that. Saying, oh, it, it puts certain things at risk. You shouldn't be saying that. You got evasions from Steph Curry, you know, some other big wokesters in the NBA. What was it? Steve Kerr, coach who won't shut up about politics all the time. He did sort of the same kind of a song and dance. Who's the guy at the Spurs? Mr. Left Wing. Couldn't be bothered to talk about that. Popovich. Not Enos Cantor. But when Daryl Morey at the Rockets said or tweeted what he said about democracy, remember what happened? At the Nike stores in China, overnight, all the Houston Rockets apparel just disappeared from the shelves. The Chinese Communist Party started censoring Rockets games to punish that organization financially, punish them, because someone in their employ, spoke out in favor of basic human rights and democracy. And Nike, rather than just staying silent, they pulled Rocket's gear off the shelves in China to appease Chairman Xi and the CCP. That is worse than being silent. That is actual kowtowing complicity. I got a hell of a lot of respect for Enos Cantor on this issue. Bravo. Keep at it, even if it makes LeBron and company very uncomfortable. Speak truth to power, literally. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you along every single day. Also glad to welcome back Jessica Tarlop, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle and chief romance correspondent at The Guy Benson Show. And Jesse, welcome back. Thank you so much. One of my absolute best friends in the world, probably my best friend, just had a baby. We'll be talking about that later on in the show. That happened on Friday. You are getting pretty far along, are you not, with your baby? (laughs) I am. I'm under eight weeks away. Oh, okay. So, like, the countdown is very much on at this point. How's it going? Any strange updates that you are comfortable sharing? Uh, well, I'm still eating a lot of hot dogs, but okay. my doctor That's said that if I want to stop gaining weight so quickly, I should take the bun off. So now we're just in full, like, Atkins disgusto mode at home. <laughs> Um, so hot dogs remain, weight gain is happening. Um, yeah, I don't have anything put together. My living room looks like an expensive children's store, um, with nothing unpacked. And, uh, I figure it's going to be fine. Yeah. 
that's my update. And congratulations to Mary Catherine. Um, I thought she had a little girl uh, who looks she adorable. Did. By the way, I want to steal this girls, phrase. Right? All girls. Yep, three girls now. Yeah. Disgusto mode is a new phrase, by the way. I literally wrote it down on my rundown. I think that that's probably something that applies to some of us when we get into junk food, to be honest. Yeah. Although, isn't yeah. weight gain sort of okay when you're pregnant because you're eating yeah. for two? Obviously, you don't want to get carried away, but like it's it's sort of acceptable, well, if not necessary. You're eating for two, but your second your passenger is only the size of a coconut. You know, I mean, it's not right. like <laughs> going out and and eating for two adults like. For two adults, which is mostly what you do. No, I mean, the weekend is normal, but as producer Christine can tell you, you know, you can actually gain a lot less than most women gain and have a very healthy pregnancy, right? It became, and so much that goes on right now about like, oh, you know, don't ever tell anyone that, you know, they're overweight or like, you know, don't fat shame. No one's fat shaming you by saying like, hey, you don't need to gain 50 pounds to create a human. You know, they want you to stay 25 to 35 pounds of weight gain. I have gained 32 so far, though I haven't weighed myself okay. after lunch, which was sizable. Um, but, you know, it all depends also on, like, family history. And, you know, they want to see if you have, uh, if you have gestational diabetes, then they want you to gain less. Um, than you would if you had, um, like, normal glucose. You know, there, there's a lot of monitoring going on. How many times a week are you having hot dogs? It's not actually that many. I just, I do it with a ferociousness. Um, no, like twice a week. Cause it's actually not, it's not great for you, but I'm, I feel like I'm supplementing, like I'm not eating that much steak cause it's just not appealing to me. So I've been doing the. Wait, hold up. Are you not a steak it. person or is this a pregnancy brain thing where all of a sudden you don't want something that you typically have liked? No, I wouldn't go so far as uh, that it's pregnancy-related. I just, like, haven't been feeling it that much. And I think also because it was summer, maybe. I was just, like, there was so much grilling going on. And I feel like hot dogs were were just everywhere. Or maybe uh, all right. In my house. <laughs> I feel like that is a very interesting theory of the case. I'm not going to argue with you because it's uh, it's your pregnancy. I just know that. The women that I know that have had babies, there's just some weird stuff that goes on. Like Mary Catherine, actually, the previous pregnancy, when she was no longer pregnant and the baby was born and all that, for a while she was like, I don't really want red wine anymore. And she loved red wine, and all of a sudden she didn't want it anymore, which was a kind of a bummer. I think it might be back. And I also wonder, could the new baby being born re-trigger the desire for red wine? I have no idea how these things work. It's very mysterious to me. Well, you will find out. Very soon. I mean, the interesting conversations around intake of things that are like acceptable during pregnancy, but some women still look down on, like having a glass of wine, I find fascinating. Like everyone's got an opinion. They're like, I'm like, what are the odds that, you know, we're both going to die if I eat some salami? And some women will tell you, no, 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 you absolutely can't do that. Or like, you know, you can't have a glass of wine. No, glass um, of wine is fine. Some pregnant women, it's totally fine. I mean, all of Western Europe it, it drinks wine through their pregnancies and, and their babies come out fine. But there are even some women that are using like CBD product. You know, I mean, there's, there's fun that you could be having pregnant that I have not indulged in, um, but it leads to fierce online debates. Um, 
kind of almost meaner than, you know, Trump, Obama, Hillary fights um, with the judgmentalism. I don't know. That, uh, is there any sort of online debate that is not fierce these days? I feel like every single mm-hmm. thing we argue yeah. about, we argue fiercely. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, you, the courage of your convictions, which you, you know, have to take back. Um, in a few, in a little bit, uh, once you figure out that you were wrong, but though most people, I think, just like don't take it back, which is an interesting approach as well. Or they convince themselves that they were never wrong, which I would admit, in my case, is usually the case. But we can move on, Jessica, because I do want to talk about politics briefly with you. What's your read on where things stand among congressional Democrats? It feels like they're making some more noises at the leadership level, that they're close to something, but there are still some real wrinkles to be ironed out. Not quite sure if the progressives are on board yet. It seems like the leadership might be trying to create momentum in order to make it feel inevitable and pressure the progressives to join the team here and get on the float so they can have their parade of whatever they're going to pass here. Is that your sense of things as well? And my thing right now is I would still be surprised. I know the new deadline, which is a completely fake deadline, but the deadline was Halloween. I would still put it at the over. I'm not sure they get this thing baked by Halloween. What about you? Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I've been, even though he's a senator and not a, a House member, I feel like Joe Manchin is just the the easiest way to track what's really going on here um, because I he tends to just be a straight shooter about it. I don't agree with all of his positions, but he says no to this. You have to, you know, and the progressives, I think, are dancing around more about more around their ability to compromise or their willingness to compromise, I would say. Um, I think Halloween, I agree with you. Um, it won't necessarily get done by then, but I think it'll be, you know, in the next week, week and a half. Um, that what about cinema, though? Come to some agreement. As you mentioned Manchin, if if Cinema decides that she still isn't satisfied, could she be a lone holdout? Or do you think if they come to a real agreement with one of them, the other will sort of maybe tweak it a little bit, but ultimately go for it? Yeah, I think that uh, Cinema, at the end of the day, is following Manchin's lead. I I think that she's just she's on that team. And. I mean, frankly, she's more liberal-minded than he is anyway, and her voting record uh, displays that and the comments that she's made in the past. Um, So I'm not as concerned about her, and frankly, I'm glad that we've moved past, like, Cinema Watch in the same way because it was was a bad plot line, and I much prefer the mansion stuff. Well, they're Um, still chasing her around. There was a new video of her getting harassed again somewhere today. I, I, I don't really think that is a tactic that is going to be successful with what I know about Kirsten No, 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 no. I just meant that I think that people are just following her around versus like actually paying attention to the content of what she's saying. And part of the problem is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that she doesn't actually articulate her positions very often. She says like, not publicly. ready on this or no to that, you know, publicly. Yeah, I'm sure she privately is saying a whole ton, but Manchin has been very transparent both publicly and privately to other members of his caucus about where his sticking points are and what he thinks is important and what isn't important. And so that's why I think that he's, 
you know, he's the one to watch in this game. And Bernie Sanders is on TV blustering about, you know, like Medicare has to include dental and vision and whatever. But at the end of the day, Bernie Sanders is going to want the deal to get done at one point five trillion, one point seven trillion, whatever. Wherever Bernie Sanders out. will vote for anything, right? If it's a lot more money in raising taxes and spending and growing the government, Bernie Sanders is going to vote yes. And there's not really a credible threat that he wouldn't. I'm not sure about the House progressives, but I also tend to think at the end of the day they cave. That's certainly, I think, the calculus of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And we'll all know, I think, soon enough whether it's the correct calculus. Jesse Tarloff, you always indulge so much of our nonsense here. We always appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show with Harris Faulkner joining us. That's coming up next. Stay with us. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the Tuesday happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's every day. If you can't listen as the show airs, there's a podcast for that. GuyBensonShow.com. It's always free and on demand. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink for the happy hour. It's always good, refreshing, delicious. I hear from you guys all the time trying it out. TheLongDrink.com is their website. They're expanding. By popular demand. 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. As we begin the final hour of today's show, we are thrilled to welcome back to the airwaves Harris Faulkner. She's the anchor of the Faulkner Focus, 11 a.m. Eastern, weekdays on Fox News Channel. Also co-host, of course, of Outnumbered. She's a six-time Emmy award-winning journalist, a best-selling author, and the only black woman in all of cable news, solo anchoring her own weekday show on the day side. And it is always a pleasure to have her back here Harris Faulkner, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for that lead up. Oh, my goodness. Um, I appreciate that. It's an impressive resume. I mean, the resume is it speaks for itself. Thank you. I've been sitting alone in the daytime for quite some time. I mean, Joy Reid came on at, at 7 p.m., and, and that was great for MSNBC. Uh, I won't take a shot at the ratings, but we are beating them from 11 a.m. <laughs> so, I mean, we've been very blessed. Um, you know, I think some congratulations are in order for you uh, just simply because of your success, and I'm glad to be part of the show today. It's so amazing. Oh, well, Thanks, Guy Benson. That is very kind of you. We love having you here always. We love joining you on the TV side. Actually, I want to ask you about this because we had a bunch of our friends and colleagues from Fox News on this program over the course of just a few weeks stretch where we've really been leaning into, I think, fairly, the 25th anniversary of Fox News. And we've asked people about their Fox story because everyone had a different journey, right? Some people were OG. They were here from the very beginning, day one, walking through the door. Other people joined the team more recently. And I always find it fascinating, and it might be a little bit self-indulgent, but hey, it's been a quarter century 20 years at number one, I think a lot of our audience is actually quite interested in some of these stories and the routes that people took 
if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing a bit about yours, I would love to hear it. I'm honored. First of all, the next time I see Sean Hannity, I now know i got to call him, oh, gee, baby. Uh, <laughs> he's been here 25 years. And when you see one of those spots that we each did on our journey along the way while working at Fox, that's part of his. And I was like, wow, he's the original gangsta. Anyway, um, I've been here. I got here 10 years later than Sean, so I haven't been here as long, but 15 glorious years. And in my time here, I have gone from being a freelance worker who left the Fox Entertainment side, actually, uh, after 15 years in local journalism as primetime anchor in different markets, Kansas City, Minneapolis. I then went to A Current Affair and ended up hosting shows from Aruba, A Current Affair episodes from there, and went as a correspondent originally on that show. And the show, in its reincarnation, because it's been around, that and Inside Edition, they've been around for a long time. And they come and go with different hosts and whatnot. And I loved it. I I loved every second of it. It was supposed to be more of a celebrity-driven, like, oh, go to Aruba and find Christian Slater. Well, you've met me, Guy Benson. There there was no (laughs) real finding of Christian Slater by Harris Faulkner. She's hard news. They call her gangster girl. Because so many things go wrong, and that's when you see me bop up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's really this bad. Um, but then Natalie Holloway sadly disappeared, and I met her mom, was the first to sit down with her mother, Beth Holloway, in just hours and days and then weeks after Natalie had disappeared, and we were on a journey. I was on that island for 29 days for the Fox Entertainment side. And then from 20th, I came to Fox News Channel, and I was a new mom. And so I worked from 6 p.m. to midnight, and it was a perfect schedule for me doing cut-ins. And I started doing the news cut-ins for Sean Hannity and then Bill O'Reilly and Greta Like the little short, like top-of-the-hour news updates. It was 60 seconds. Studio N? Studio N for Uh No One Knows Your Name. (laughs) 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 No one knows you. But at the end, I was told, you know, They'll see you top and bottom of the hour. And I said, well, we have people that already say that. Like, why don't I, why don't I just tell them how I'm really feeling about the news? And so I would do – I'd make two or three stories, sometimes four, in that 60 seconds where everybody else was doing a couple whenever they do news cut-ins. But I was able to just pick punchy verbs and work with the writers on getting it really short. And then at the end, I'd take a little moment with the audience. And I'd say stuff like, you know, that last story was crazy, right? thought, no, but you are, Missy. Whoever you are in the studio, no one knows your name. Um, And that's how I started here. And one or two times there was major breaking news, and I broke into main primetime programming, and people didn't turn away. And it was the beginning of my career here. Like, oh, okay, so you've done so much breaking news in your career before getting here. Let's see if you can sell it during programming that people really don't want to have interrupted. And breaking news doesn't need selling because it is what it is. You just have to say mm-hmm. it in a, in a range where your goal is just to inform people. So I went from there to filling in on the Fox report to doing that on weekends and then fast forward to having a show with my name on it. I feel incredibly blessed. The Faulkner Focus is a dream come true. So that's what my a little trajectory. Tale. 15 <laughs> years. Well, and, it, it, you know, with some kids along the way and a husband and all that kind of stuff that matters. Well, and I've always flies, supported it? here. It's why I stay. Does it really feel like 15 years? Is it, 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 to me, I've been yeah, here Yeah, because I have a 14-year-old. I know exactly how long it's been. And yes, but I've always <laughs> felt supported here. Like if, if I needed to step away and do what I needed to do to become that mom, it was really 
cool to come back to a place where if I were interviewed on behalf of Fox with publications and they would say, well, how do you describe where you are? And I'd say, well, I, I'm strong in my faith. I never had a boss that would say, you know, you should talk more about the corporation, which I have had in my previous Fox experiences. You know, but I, I can say what gives me strength. I work in a place that lets us be us. You know, Harris, I want to ask a question, and I wasn't planning to ask you this, but when you were talking about your experience on Aruba and covering that case, the Holloway case, which really transfixed the country, it was a huge national story, and people really wanted to know what happened. And I just, through osmosis, right, started to learn more about it. I still can even pull some of the names out of the sky, Vandersloot, right, this stuff it has been years. We just went through this with the horrible killing of Gabby Petito as well, another case that got a lot of attention. I know that you spent some time for sure covering that case. There was some pushback in certain corners of the media, certain quarters, people saying, we only do this for missing white girls. Is that a fair critique? Is it, I guess part of my question is, what are the ingredients that lead to a story about a missing person or a murder? Because unfortunately, there are lots of those all the time. What captures the attention of a country and what's the news media's job in terms of focusing on a story that people are interested in and trying to decide in context how newsworthy it is in the scheme of things? Well, I think that there are always connective tissue points with any story. For instance, with Natalie Holloway, she was a recent high school grad. Many of us start planning those trips. I've got a freshman in high school right now, my daughter, Bella, and she's already thinking, you know, what's graduation going to entail, and do we go celebrate somewhere? And you, it's, it's a rite of passage to celebrate with your friends after graduation and to have new adventures and new journeys, and parents are along on that trip. There are a lot of connection points that we can make. I mean, I could totally see myself in the place of one of those parents who was like a chaperone, one of those teachers mm-hmm. who was a chaperone, whomever was with that group. I don't remember all the details right now. It's been a few years, but yes. And there were connection points with Gabby Petito. You know, she was on Instagram. She was, you know, video blogging her journey uh, on this trip that she and her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, took. Um, and she was at a hinge point in her life, you know, early 20s, getting ready to attack her dreams. We can see her pathway from our own. We can see her pathway fr- from our growing children's. Um, just seeing that couple that looked happy from what we saw mm. – it's in every man or woman journey where people fall in love, they go chase their dreams, they take a journey. That's relatability. A, relatability and aspiration. Um, and so what's unfortunate about what Joy Reed said, Reed said, rather, in terms of focusing on the race and who's missing, and you know, she has the same platform that we do. If she wants to focus on a case, she can do that. Having filled in for Nancy Grace back in the day, I did. I can tell you that every walk of life, we've covered stories network to network. And she was at CNN, HLN at the time. I was a, you know, basically a free player. I was under contract with 20th Century to do one show, but um, I was a free agent beyond a current affair. And so I would appear on Larry King at the time, talking about Natalie Holloway and other stories I was working on, and filling in for Nancy Grace, who works now at Fox. It, It wasn't what Joy Reid said, you know, oh, well, so-and-so is white, and that's why we chase, and blah, 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 blah. She's got a platform. By the way, the time that she took tearing us down or any other network, she could have been following cases that she cared to, to cover. And what I say is let's do as many as we can. Um, last I checked, 
that nine minutes and nine seconds of George Floyd's death, yeah, we were fixated as a nation and as the world that yep. something could go so wrong. I didn't hear her talking then. I mean, we, we, we could see ourselves in some part of what was playing out. Somebody that we thought we could trust. Well, what we didn't know about Derek Chauvin, my husband and I knew because we lived in Minneapolis as reporters. And they needed to deal with him before that incident. Like, they, they knew that he had a bit of a track record. I won't get into it now. Yeah. But not Definitely everything is about trail. race. Which is, which is why the prosecutor could put a winning case before the judge in, in Derek Chauvin. He didn't talk about all cops. He talked about that man. He didn't have to take down somebody to show the evidence in the case. He didn't play the race well, card. That and sort of speaking thing. of that case and Minneapolis and your experience in Minneapolis, because I also wanted to get your take. This is very much related. Ilhan Omar, who's a congresswoman from that neck of the woods, she had a few statements recently that were captured on video where she was criticizing, unsurprisingly, the Minneapolis police force, although the way she was criticizing them in this particular case was a bit surprising. She was talking about the lawlessness and the crime that has really gripped that city and that area, and she blames the police. Let's listen to part of Cut 20. We must also recognize is that the reduction in policing currently in our city and the lawlessness that is happening um, is due to two things. One, the police have chosen to not fulfill their oath of office and to provide the public safety they are owed to the citizens they serve. Right? It's documented. All right, so then she goes on and says the other reason is the police force is dysfunctional. But this is a woman, a member of Congress, who has called for the eradication of the police department, for them to be defunded. Now she's saying, well— they aren't doing their job enough, and they're choosing not to protect and serve in Minneapolis. You're familiar with that community. You've watched very closely what's happened there over the last year, two years. What's your reaction, Harris, when you hear that line of critique coming, particularly from this advocate of defunding the police? Well, my husband's Jewish, and we've heard the anti-Semitic remarks that she's made and continues to yep. make. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of meat on the bone in terms of going um, – you know, after some of the comments she's made, not after the representative Omar, but but the things that she has said and things that she has done. My biggest question after this is how does she hold public office? How does she say that the reduction in policing is part of the problem when she wants to defund the police department and take the number down to zero and replace it call, with something called the Minnesota Public Safety Department? And then six months ago, that was deemed not sufficient, so they had to walk that back. I mean, she is her own dog chasing the tail, tail being chased by a I mean, she's just running around in circles. And, and you know, if she's watching what's happening in Virginia and, and my home state now of, of New Jersey, she knows that Democrats are in trouble with these things, that she's got a virtue signal enough on things like political virtue signaling, on things like defund the police, because Democrats are running out of a base. Their base is no longer moderates. And and she's outnumbered. Forgive the pun that goes back to the show, but she's <laughs> like outnumbered. She and yeah, she and AOC weekdays at noon Eastern. Um, <laughs> she and AOC and and the ilk in in the House are outnumbered, and they'll find that out in November of 2022 potentially. But the but the big thing that's being signaled, if you will, in states where big taxes are are where they want to go, and and don't listen to parents on education, and defund the police, and do all those things. I mean. She's going to find that those are not really what people are looking for. 
And if she's listening to what was being shouted and on signs in the streets right after the death of George Floyd, May 25th of 2020, things have moved forward now, and not in a good way. Inflation is something that everybody is talking about. You don't have to play any kind of a card to get to that one. And since she doesn't have any answers on that, I would imagine, because if she did, she'd be speaking, she's picking for the low-hanging fruit politically of what she thinks will sell in her base. I don't know if well, she wants to spend a lot more money. In, well, and, she wants and, to spend trillions more dollars. And even in her district is big enough for her to get reelected. We're seeing some sort of a shift here. We don't know what it is yet. We don't know if it'll be enough to turn some blue areas red. But what we do know is Biden's going to Virginia today because Terry McAuliffe, who's already been governor, he's in trouble. Yeah, and we are one week away from that race and the race in New Jersey and, of course, a year away from the big midterm elections. Harris Faulkner, she got the plug in for Outnumbered, noon Eastern on Fox News Channel. I'll be on the virtual couch tomorrow. Very excited to join tomorrow, Harris. And, of course, the... Faulkner Focus is at 11 a.m. Eastern Time every weekday as well. Harris Faulkner, our colleague and friend here at Fox News. Harris, always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for the conversation. Next time, I want to hear about your years here. Deal. All right. Take care, my dear. You too. And we'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It's new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Here's a story from Mel Magazine. It's pretty amazing. It features a guy called Dylan out in California. He's 33 years old. And he found a loophole in his system, a life hack, if you will, and made the most of it. He realized that you could pay for an all-access pass to Six Flags, the amusement park. It's 150 bucks. You get unlimited access to Six Flags. And for that amount, you get parking and two meals a day. Actually, a pretty good deal, even if you're just going to Six Flags every so often. What he decided to do was pay the 150 bucks and then take advantage and spend every single day timing it exactly so he could eat lunch and dinner at Six Flags in their food court. He said it was not the healthiest, but it saved him a ton of money. He said he didn't really go to the grocery store almost at all during an entire year of doing this. But he took advantage for seven years in a row of this offer. And while the park was open, he would go. He would eat two meals a day almost every single day. He was able to pay down his student loans. He got married. He bought a house because his cost of food was effectively nothing or close to nothing. Because his meal pass, his meal plan, if you will, at Six Flags was 150 bucks a year for hundreds of meals that he ate there. I cannot imagine the health implications of eating basically carnival food every day, but that's what he did. Very frugal, fiscally creative, I'll give him that. I know producer Christine is a big Six Flags person. Wyatt is a Disney supremacist, and he's just shaking his head, sneering at all of this. But I have to applaud Dylan. Seven years commitment to eating Six Flags food for almost no money and was able to get a bunch of stuff in his life accomplished like paying down his student loans and buying a house. I mean, there are trade-offs in life. He made his. Tip of the cap, I think? I wonder how he was tipping the scales. I have no idea. 
The Guy Benson Show continues next. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. Happy hour here on this Tuesday. In our first hour today, our friend Katie Pavlet swung by talking about the Virginia race and more. Here's part of our conversation with our colleague and buddy, Katie Pavlich. There's there's a lot at stake in this race. It's awfully close. Nip and tuck. Last four polls I mentioned at the top of the show have been tied. And Katie, I want to get your reaction. I sort of commented a bit on it earlier, but I want to get your reaction to what President Obama, the former president, he came in, did this rally for uh, for McAuliffe. Apparently, in terms of size, it really wasn't any bigger than the solo Glenn Youngkin rally that he was doing elsewhere in the state uh, over the weekend. But Obama seemed to be very dismissive of all the school concerns, all the equity and critical race theory and just the whole bucket of issues surrounding schools where it's very obvious that Glenn Youngkin has gained ground on those issues. Obama seems upset about that. He says it's phony. He says it's the right wing media ginning stuff up, trumping stuff up. Cut 31. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars, this fake outrage that the right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings, and the fact that he's willing to go along with it instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people, that's a shame. I feel like education is a serious issue that affects serious people, but Barack Obama says it's phony, fake, the invention of uh, right-wing media, Katie. Yeah, I, I also think that transgender policy that puts young women at risk is a serious issue for serious people. Uh, the first thing is that the idea that Terry McAuliffe has had to bring in uh, Stacey Abrams, Barack Obama, Gretchen Whitmer, Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, all to try and get him over the finish line shows you that they're in deep trouble. Uh, about a month ago, they were door knocking in in like deep blue Arlington making sure that people were going to get out to vote for the McAuliffe campaign. Uh, the idea that the former president uh, came in and argued that these very serious issues that, by the way, taxpayers are paying for, they pay for the schools, they pay for their children's education, are some trumped-up idea when everybody can see what's going on, they can see that parents are being locked out of school board meetings uh, and all the things that we, we've talked about, um, I think only makes People want to get out and vote on behalf of, Young, of Glenn Youngkin even more um, to have Barack Obama come in and, and do this divisive, you know, make these divisive statements as an outsider of someone who doesn't live in Virginia, who's not dealing with these issues firsthand and to kind of shove them off as the right wing media is running the campaign in Virginia, which Trump lost by, what, 10 points. Um, it's insulting and it's just, you know, a, completely cut off from reality and what people are dealing with in the state. And it's obvious with the way that Terry McAuliffe is behaving. He's behaving very defensive. Uh, He's bringing all Mm -hmm. these people in to try and get him to pass the finish line. Uh, And it's very clear that they know there's a race going on, and that's why they have to insult people rather than focus on the issues. Yeah. And what's sort of depressing to me is it might work still. I mean, you know, given the way McAuliffe has conducted this campaign and given the issues at stake and given the way things are happening in the country, the way things are going in terms of the economy and inflation and and everything, Joe Biden in some of these new polls, I mean, he's in the low 40s in Virginia. The fact that they even have a shot 
at winning. In fact, I'd say maybe even still slight favorites to win. I mean, that does show you how blue the state has become. However, this is very much a jump ball at this point. And I think you can tell that it's a jump ball because they are acting scared. They're acting anxious. And to your point, Katie, the idea that parents being worried about schools is just a figment of a right-wing fever dream imagination. It is belied by actual activity on the ground and people's actual behavior in their lives. There was a story out yesterday. Enrollment in Fairfax County's public schools now fallen more than 10,000 students since the onset of the pandemic. Schools were closed for a year in Virginia. They want to sort of pretend like that didn't happen. Right. That's like, oh, all these trumped up issues. What, like schools being closed for a year? You have that and you layer on top all the woke craziness and and the racial stuff and the sexual assault issue that's now come up in another suburban county. But in Fairfax, a big, important, very Democratic county, people are voting with their feet. You've got enrollment in these schools down 10,000. And that's not phony. That's reality. Well, and it's not just about education, right? You just laid out all these problems with the education system. But Glenn Youngkin's run a very smart campaign. He's taken national issues and really, you know, honed in on them in terms of how they affect Virginians. He's sending out flyers about how he's going to to, uh, repeal the grocery tax at a time when groceries are through the roof. That full discussion with Katie Pavlich here on The Guy Benson Show, available on demand at your fingertips for free, along with the entire show every day. That's the podcast. No charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, a local politics story that is amazing. A candidate lied in a very big way about something sort of interesting. And when she got called out, she sort of melted down. And her excuses have to be heard to be believed. We'll bring you that on the home stretch next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for listening every day. And someone who listens, if not every day, certainly at least once a week, because she loves Bonus Benson, the podcast on the weekend, is my best friend Mary Catherine Hamm. Longtime Fox News contributor. She's at one of our competitors, has been for a couple years now. We talk almost every day. And she and her husband announced yesterday that they have added to their family officially a new baby girl was born on Friday. The birth actually happened while I was flying to San Francisco. It was really fast. By the time she stepped foot in the facility to the baby being born, it was like 20 minutes is her third. So welcome, Holly Jane, to the world. We are so excited for Mary Catherine, for her two other daughters, and especially for her husband, Steve. And we are just overjoyed for them. And we're very excited to have a new member of the Guy Benson Show family, a new listener. We'll take him young. Helps with the demo, right? Holly Jane getting some bonus Benson. At age zero. We love to see it. Congratulations, Mary Catherine and Steve. We love you both. Now, I want to close the show today with this story that I find absolutely hilarious. It is a Washington Post scoop. 
It involves local politics in Northern Virginia. I know we've been focusing a lot on Virginia because of the governor's race. Now, this is a county race in Arlington County, Virginia. Here's the headline. Arlington County board candidate who said she was 52 is actually 72. Record show. Here's the report. Arlington County board candidate Audrey Clement, who previously told news outlets that she is in her early 50s, appears to be two decades older, according to government records. When asked about the discrepancy, Clement, who's a perennial candidate who largely has self-funded her independent campaigns for local office, said that asking her age amounted to discrimination and violated her right to privacy. Quote, I believe that The Washington Post doesn't have any right to require that information of me or any other political candidate, she said in a phone interview on Monday. I believe it's a violation against my civil right and a manifestation of ageism. Earlier this month, the Post sent out an online questionnaire to all four candidates running for the board's one open seat. The survey included several required questions on basic biographical information, including age, neighborhood, occupation, and then asked the candidates to describe their stances on local issues. In her submission last week, Clement reported her age was 52. But voter registration records reviewed by the Post show that she was born in March of 1949, which would make her 20 years older than what she said. Now, let me just pause because this story gets better. I'm going to pause here. I think if you are asked basic biological and biographical information, you should not lie about those things, particularly in the context of running for office. It's not like it was a mystery how old she was. And for some strange reason, the Washington Post started asking her. These are standard questions that they asked everyone. And she gave an answer. She didn't leave it blank. She offered a response, which was, oh, I'm 52. Then when it turns out that she was off by 20 years and they asked her about it, she gets all huffy about her privacy and her civil rights. No one forced her to lie about her age. Look, I understand some people might fudge their age in certain contexts. I can't. Right? Like someone put it on my Wikipedia. They know my exact birthday. It's there. I'm 36. I'm never going to be able to massage that because it's a matter of public record. And I'm just someone on TV and radio. I'm not someone seeking public office in a position of power over other people. So I think the indignant response from this woman, how dare you ask if the number I gave you is in fact a total lie off by two decades? How dare you? I'm sorry. That's not going to cut it. Now, this might be my favorite line in the entire story. Upon further questioning, Clement said she, quote, had achieved the age of 52. (laughs) That is novel. That is almost impressive. If you could just pick any age that you have been and just decide that's the age that you like the best, perhaps that's the age that you identify as. So if you achieved it, check the box. I'm trying to think, what was my favorite year? I've had some good years. It's hard to really pick one, but let's just say 31. 
Let's say I decided that I wanted to be 31 for a while. Right, I get closer and closer to 40. Like, uh, I'm feeling better on my early 30s. I have achieved the age of 31. I've also achieved the age of 21. For me to lie about my age the way this woman has on the same scale in terms of years, I would have to be going around telling people that I'm 16. I'm a junior in high school, folks. Very precocious. I've had a long career in imaginary years that didn't really happen. Achieve the age of 52. That takes cojones from this woman. And she must have come up with that on the fly. I don't think she was expecting this little phone call from the Washington Post being like, hey, did you say 52? Did you mean 72 maybe? She's like, oh, well, I was. I achieved 52. I'm going back to the story now. Asked why voters should trust her if she misstates her own age. She again evaded the question, quote, I believe your questioning of me right now is a violation of my right to privacy. No, it's not. You are running for office. I voted early. I thought about voting for her because she's an independent and it's just a place totally run by Democrats. But I'm kind of glad I didn't because this sounds a little bit, a little batty. It is not a violation of a right to privacy to ask a candidate about why that candidate lied, volunteered a lie about a basic fact about themselves. In a subsequent phone call, Clement said, quote, a lot of candidates who reach a certain age are perceived to be over the hill and therefore unqualified for the office for which they are running. Interesting commentary on ageism, interesting concern, except has Ms. Clement noticed what happened in the presidential election last year? There were two people older than her running against each other. Someone several years older than she is won the presidency. She's running for a county seat, a county board seat. Achieve the age of 52. That is just some spectacular stuff there. There's spin and then there's that. By the way, I had to look her up. I bet you some of you are doing that right now. You're Googling this one. What does she look like? I will say she looks pretty good for 72. (laughs) Producer Christine, I know that you claim that you just turned 40. Anything you want to tell us? This is your chance to come clean. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think back of some of my best years, but if, if I can take 20 years off, I'm going back. Yeah, I achieved 20 years old. And let me tell you something. At 20 years old, I was clever enough to have an ID that said I was 21 years old. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I wouldn't mind going back to that year. It was a good year. But you are sticking with your current age of, quote, 40? Well, Is that what you're identifying as? Have Have you achieved the age of 40, Christine? achieved it and I couldn't lie even if I wanted to because you would make sure of it that I was called out. Uh, Dan would make sure of it. Wyatt would make sure of it. I'm sure good old Maxie would come come around and make sure of it and we yeah, know he'd come back. Would, so. No, I, I think what would happen if you were lying about your age 
we would get an anonymous tip from a very soft-spoken young man. You could hear the pages of the Wall Street Journal turning in the background. You could hear the lack of traffic at 4 a.m. on his constitutional as he took sips from his coffee with an anonymous tip about the true age of producer Christine. Problem is, even if we confronted you on this and we made a bet and then we proved that you weren't telling the truth and you had to pay off the bet, you wouldn't do it because you still owe us French onion soup from like, what, a year and a half ago? No, see, see, this is, if you were 20 years younger, you would remember your, your, your mind would be sharper. I did that already. So we don't have to no, go back. No, you did not. Don't worry. Nope, the that is, is don't worry. We can fact check that one. And that's sounding like 14 Pinocchios on fire to me. That's the Guy Benson show fact check ruling on that. We can bring back Maxie too, because we have, we do have people who will correct the record on that one. Anyway, look, hats off to, uh, what's her name here? Audrey Clement. I mean, she looks good for 72. It doesn't make her 52. And it doesn't make it a violation of her constitutional rights or something to have journalists ask a question about it. That, I mean, that takes chutzpah. Like, I'm trying to think, could you even maybe just say 60? Right, where you're just going back to the beginning of your last decade. Now, she's like, I'm going to go 20 full years. She probably thought she could get away with it based on how she looks, but the truth is the truth. And we'll see if Ms. Clement prevails on Tuesday in that big election. Now I'm almost more interested in what happens in that election than the governor election. It's such a weird story. We had to close today's show with it. I'll be on special report tonight on the TV side with Brett Baer and the panel around 640 Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Back here on the radio tomorrow, of course, same time, same place for The Guy Benson Show. Have a great night. I'm 50, 50 years old. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.